2: Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network.
0: Government lockdowns decimated small businesses during the pandemic, destroying the livelihoods of millions of Americans. Many of these hardworking men and women still have not recovered. And none of them are at fault. The blame lies with politicians and their bureaucratic goons who arbitrarily deemed some workers essential and others expendable. Today, I expose the government's war on the backbone of America and how COVID escalated a problem that's been ongoing for years. This is The Truth with Lisa Booth. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. I'm Lisa Booth, and this week we're covering a topic that too many Americans are familiar with. How small businesses in the middle class have suffered under government lockdowns. Too often, leaders in government believe that they have a godlike capacity to make brilliant decisions for the stupid masses. They think they're superior to you, to me, both morally and intellectually, even though their job is to serve us, the people. Remember, we are their boss. Now, with the coronavirus, politicians and bureaucrats, we saw them grab power in shocking and unprecedented ways. And with that power, they picked winners and they picked losers deciding which businesses they liked and which ones they disliked, which workers were essential and which ones were expendable. And what came next was devastation. The government imposed lockdowns across the country in the name of fighting the pandemic. Small businesses struggled to survive. And tragically, many of those didn't. Many people lost the ability to put a roof over their kids' heads or to feed their family. And those that did, many of the businesses that stayed open or were able to stay open, a lot of them had to lay off employees. Millions of Americans have suffered And many of them in their businesses still have not recovered. To really understand what happened and where we should go from here, I want to bring on Carol Roth to the show to discuss this assault on small businesses and the middle class. She's an entrepreneur, an investor, a best-selling author, and a TV personality. She's also a self-described recovering investment banker. And she has a really important new book that is out titled The War on Small Business, how the Government Used the Pandemic to Crush the Backbone of America. I'm pleased to welcome Carol Roth to the show. Uh, this is a conversation that needs to happen. You know, Carol, what, what really interested you? You know, why why did you want to write this book?
3: So I've been a long time small business advocate. I wrote a book 10 years ago about how hard it is to be a small business owner and all the risks. And I never really thought the number one risk was going to be the federal government coming in and shutting you down by mandate. Uh, so I was actually approached very early in the pandemic by Harper Collins, who wanted a you know real kind of in depth economic take on what was clearly going to be historic. And as I watched this unfold, I kind of wrote three and a half different books to be perfectly honest, and it ended up at like a hundred and sixty thousand words. And they're like, "No, you need to call that back." Uh, but the the through line through all of it was really how small businesses, who are the backbone of the economy, and that that's just not not just a moniker. They're ninety nine point nine percent of all business entities. They're about half the GDP. They're about half the jobs. So, So, this foundation of the economy got completely screwed over, and winners and losers were picked, and they were picked not based on data and science, but the government picked those winners and losers who was going to thrive, who was going to fight to survive, based on political clout and connections, and then used that to enable the most historic wealth transfer. That we've seen in our lifetime. So that seemed like a pretty big story to me. Um, And I'm actually flabbergasted that nobody else seems to be talking about it.
0: Why don't people care more?
3: (sighs) You know, I think that people look at the macro headlines and it looks like the economy is recovering. It looks like things are doing great, but they don't realize if you kind of peel back the onion what that looks like. They don't realize. That 400,000 small businesses had closed permanently by June of last year. We don't even have a, a good updated number. We know that millions more are struggling to survive. They don't realize that the people who used to patronize those businesses transferred those dollars to big companies like Amazon, like Walmart, like Target. They had record revenue. They don't understand the Federal Reserve, which is opaque by design, and the fact that they put $8 trillion on their balance sheet and forced interest rates down back to zero, and how with all of these things it enabled seven technology companies to increase by 3.4 trillion dollars in value last year, and that it was a record year for initial public offerings and and special purpose acquisition companies in terms of the amount of money that they raised. So I think that because the financial aspect of it is so opaque, and you have so many media cheerleaders who are running interference for, for politicians. And you look at the headlines and it's, it's easy to say, oh, like, oh, it sounds like things are, are getting back uh, in order. And they don't realize that this huge transfer of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street's happened and really this, this clamping down on economic freedom and wealth creation opportunities.
0: Well, and you had mentioned so pre-pandemic, small businesses accounted for uh, you know half of the GDP and half of the employment in the country. What does that look like now, and what's the broader impact of that?
3: yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Um, we know on the employment front that one of the things that happened in terms of the design of um, you know how the government was going to quote unquote, care for you from you know the mandates that they created, is that they did a lot of things that made it very difficult for people to go want to go back into the workforce. One of the things is this enhanced unemployment benefit. So not the money that your employer or in some states you pay in out of each check for unemployment, but on top of that, they gave you a bonus for being unemployed obviously decreasing the incentives to want to go back to work. They sent out stimulus checks, not necessarily based on your current need, but based on some arbitrary number from a previous year. They shuttered schools. So if, if you were a parent that had kids, you know, you couldn't get your kids back in school, you might not have been able to go back to work. So they, the government basically is now competing with small businesses uh, for employees, and we have 9.3 million jobs in this country that businesses can't fill, and that's very much being shouldered um, by the small business community who are raising wages, offering signing bonuses, doing whatever they can, and they still can't get people to come back um, into employment. As far as you know what they're going to make up of the GDP, we don't have those numbers yet, but um, there is a, a, a project called Opportunity Insights that's run in conjunction with Harvard that said something like almost forty percent of the small businesses had been closed. Now, knowing the numbers like I do, I don't think that's of the thirty point two million million small businesses, but it could be of the six million employer businesses. So even if it's you know two million. Businesses that are permanently closed and not contributing to the GDP, and that money is going to the big businesses, that's a huge shift from Main Street to Wall Street.
0: Well, and unfortunately, you know, we live in a society where sometimes people can be, you know, sort of inherently selfish. If it doesn't impact them, they don't really care. So for the folks, you know, let's say someone doesn't know a small business owner, they don't have a family member that's a small business owner, they don't feel like they should care about this issue. Why should they care? Why does this impact their life? Why does this impact the economy? Why does this impact the country?
3: Yeah, it goes back to this bigger battle that we're seeing play out between decentralization and central power. And, you know, it used to be we were much closer to a free market system and free market capitalism, despite what some people think, just basically means freedom and choice and transparency and a, a level playing field where the government's just protecting your individual rights and, and your property rights. And unfortunately, central planning is a couple of people making the decisions on behalf of everyone and using force and coercion and control. And we've been moving along that spectrum. If you think about the economy in those two halves, you have half the economy that is the small businesses, as I said, pre-COVID, 30.2 million. They're decentralized. They're independent. There is no concentration of power. Uh, they're very difficult to control, which is very good. Um, and that creates economic freedom and wealth creation opportunities for a broad set of people. The other half of the economy is like 10 to 15,000 big companies. And as you can imagine, if you're a politician and you're trying to consolidate power, who is it easier to align with and, and get, uh, in, you know, get in your pockets and have them make contributions and, and, you know, kind of be in a coalition with the the handful of big businesses or the 30.2 million small businesses? So if you don't want there to be more centralized power. And, uh, you know, I imagine in terms of all the things that you discussed about the size of the government, the amount that they spend, the laws, you know, all those kinds of things, you should not want the government to be doing more things and have more power. If you start getting rid of this decentralized portion of the economy, it just makes that central portion larger and bigger and harder to combat. And it it's basically slides us across that scale closer to socialism and that's something that should scare everybody. Well, I,
0: I think that's a great point. You know, and you had talked about the enhanced unemployment benefits and you'd mentioned socialism just now. I mean, we've essentially created a you know a country that is dependent on the federal government on a scale that, you know, maybe we we, ne- we never have before in history. And so you're right. That does move us closer to a socialist type country where we're we're consolidating power at the top with the big corporations and, you know, big government As well. And do you think that is why I mean, lately, we've seen corporations insert themselves in more and more things, more and more issues, Uh, for instance, going after Georgia over their voting law. Do you think that correlates to what we've seen over the past year as big businesses has been allowed to grow at the expense of small business?
3: A hundred percent. The fact that they're involved in everything, whether it is, uh, like you said, voting laws, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg standing up and saying, I think you need to regulate the tech companies, Uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon coming out um, and pushing for a higher minimum wage. They're doing all of these things because they know that it helps with that consolidation of power. And in some cases, it's anti-competitive to small business, because we all think reining in the big guys is going to be a good thing and it's going to help the little guys. That's the excuse they use every single time. And it's just not true. I mean, if we go back to the Great Recession financial crisis, the banks did some things that uh, were very, very risky. They didn't work out. It ended up taking down the entire economy and affecting all of our lives. And they were told they were too big to fail. They got taxpayer money. But, you know, we're going to slap them on the wrist and we're going to regulate them and that's going to rein them in. And so we came up with this onerous set of laws called Dodd-Frank. Well, what was the outcome of Dodd-Frank? As I lay out in the book, it ended up being so expensive and so difficult to comply with that it decreased the number of starts of small community banks from like a hundred a year to three. It put a bunch of small uh, business banks out of business. And as you can imagine, the smaller banks that have less assets under management are the ones who are lending to small businesses. So small business lending fell off a cliff at the same time, because there was less competition from small companies. You had these big, Uh, banks that grew even more and they increased the lending to big companies so we have this legislation that was supposed to rein in these big banks that did bad things and all it did was give them free reign and end up hurting small business more and so you know it's very tempting to say oh we're gonna we're gonna use the government to, to go after these big guys they're all in it together they're all on the same side
0: so how do we rein them in
3: Yeah, I mean, this is the like multi trillion dollar question. I mean, we need to move back along the spectrum, you know, closer to a free market. And we need to, you know, tear down (laughs) the purview of the government, um, which is obviously not an easy thing to do. And it's interesting, a a lot of, um, you know, the the folks who back different ideas, they tend to back a candidate and think that, like, getting their guy or their gal in the system is all of a sudden going to shift everything. But this is so systemically broken. um, I think we need to do more suing, frankly, of the government. I mean, they have put so many laws in place. They've done so many things that have overstepped their constitutional boundaries. And think about, you know, what happened with COVID. You you subjugated property rights of small business owners for the good of society, and you didn't give them appropriate compensation. Eminent domain says if you're going to take their property, you owe them the due compensation. So I think we need to start challenging these things in courts because a tiny fraction of a fraction of a percent of all the laws see challenges. And I think if we start to strip away those rights, obviously that in and of itself will help to reduce the size of the government, but will also uh, perhaps keep some future politicians from going down that road, knowing that, you know, that's going to ultimately be challenged and be a no-go. But we have been too complacent as individuals. I mean, the fact that Small business owners even agreed (laughs) to these lockdowns. The fact that so many Americans agreed to these mandates, uh, you know, these weren't laws. They were mandates. And they agreed and just said, okay, well, we're going to do this. Um, You know, that's on us. We have to actively preserve our freedom. So on the small business side, you educate yourself, you understand these things, um, and then that helps to take action and I think, you know, another thing that I lay out in the book that's really important that needs to be reined in, which could probably be done through Congress, is reining in the Federal Reserve.
0: You know, how, how can a small business compete against the Amazons of the world?
3: So it depends if you're talking about in a free market Or with the help of the government, to the government giving Amazon special favors. Because if you remember when Amazon was going to move their headquarters a couple of years ago, they ran around and they did this beauty pageant, right? So they're showing up in all these different locations and they're saying, okay, well, if we move to your city, like, what will you give us? Will you give us your firstborn child? Will you give us, you know, naming rights? It was the like team? The
0: Bachelor or something. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they were doing all of these things, and, of course, they ended up going with the places that they were planning to go anyway, but they used that to extract additional benefits. Like, if I'm going to go open up a pizza parlor somewhere, or at least you're going to go open up a cupcake shop, like, nobody's giving us naming rights. Like, we probably can't even get somebody to return our call. We're going to get all, of, you know, these, these licenses that we have to get and insurance that have to jump through a bunch of hoops, and nobody's going to be there to help us. So it's that kind of stuff that tilts the, the field, and it makes it almost impossible for a small business to compete. In terms of, you know, if you took those away and it's just free market competition – As a small business, one of the biggest things that you have is the personal relationship with the customer. And building loyalty isn't transactional, right? It's based on relationships. And so small businesses do have certain areas where they can really – outshine the big companies because they have the opportunity to, to generate those personal relationships with customers, which are incredibly meaningful. Um, but eventually, you know, if you have to contend with all these other governmental issues that affects your pricing, uh, that affects your cost of employees, that affects your, you know, ability to even open a business, that, that affects your ability, your ability to be deemed essential, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a, a no-win situation. And so that's why we have to get the government out of the interference in the market.
0: Carol, we have to take a quick break. Back on the other side. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from four Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once. And two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot power generators. Go to 4Patriots.com Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com Lisa.
2: well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists.
3: You get a shot, but the individuals
0: behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human.
2: This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great thank conversation. You, thank you.
0: Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. One thing a lot of conservatives are sort of grappling with right now is, you know, you look at Google, you look at Amazon, you look at big tech. I mean, they're just so big. They have grown in size and scope. They have grown over the past year, as we're discussing right now, at the expense of small business. So, I mean, it, it's almost, you know, the question is really, are, are they too big for the free market to, you know, work itself out? Like, have they have they've just gotten too, too big for that?
3: You know, so if you go back in history and you look at any point in time, there is always some companies that were deemed too big, and most of them have gone out of business <laughs> or been replaced. Uh, if you look at the Dow Jones companies, I think there's just a, a handful, maybe like three of them that were there, you know, 50 plus years ago. So you you, you know there is this natural uh, changeover in business. That's allowed to happen, but since we've had so much um, enhanced interference in the stock market, and we've had so much enhanced interference in capitalism from the government, um, there really has been these extra advantages that give them this unique scale that we haven't seen before. So I do feel like if we got out of the way, that would help to shrink their footprint. Um, So that's one thing to contend with. I think the other thing from an antitrust standpoint, just because there's so much money going uh, around, is that if you think that normally when they look at antitrust and they say, okay, well, you can't buy up, businesses, you know, in the same industry, or you can't buy up, um, you know, a supply chain so that there's no other competition. I do think we're at the point where it's least worth discussing if you're dominating in, you know, like every single industry, you know, is that something that where there's a concern as well? But I also am blatantly untrust. Uh, untrustful, I guess, of, of that scenario, because we know the people who are going to write that legislation aren't doing it because they're worried about the big business and they care about you know us as individuals or small businesses. So the question is, what things are they doing in that legislation that have the unintended consequences? And so that's where I become very concerned is you know, with if they're going to quote unquote break them up or not allow you know certain mergers or not allow them into certain business lines. You know what does that mean for everybody else? And I think that's that's a question that we always need to be asking.
0: Well, and not to be hyperbolic, but I mean, it seems like we're heading into a scenario where Jeff Bezos has more power than Joe Biden might even.
3: <laughs> um, I would imagine that. Uh, and I hate them both, so I'd rather them not, neither of them have power. <laughs> yeah, wealthy individuals um, definitely, I think, are working in connection with the governmental officials. I think that the. Concern from that sort of power dynamic um, is that the the business folks are probably a lot smarter than the folks that are in Congress. So they're well, able- I think anyone is. It's <laughs> <laughs> so not really a stretch, right? So I, I feel, exactly, yeah. So I feel like that they're probably driving. Um, The agendas to a large part behind the scenes, but we do need to be careful about this. And again, this goes to like strategic thinking and unintended consequences. The country that printed the most billionaires over the last year was not the United States. It was China. And so you have to remember, you know, when you get concerned, oh, should we be, you know, concerned about the wealth of, you know, Jeff Bezos or about Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, that this isn't just a a national issue. And if we start to meddle in that then you have the Chinese people who have all the power. And again I mean this in terms of communist Chinese people, not Americans who are of Chinese origin or whatnot, but you know the actual communist party uh members who have all of the capital and then can come in and buy up America and, and be sort of, you know, kind of Trojan horse <laughs> their way through you know, the uh the power structure here. So, you know, we have to, to remember, like, I know as Americans, sometimes we think we're like the only game in town, that <laughs> we're the entire world, but we're not. And so things that, you know, affect us right now that we're looking at, don't forget about, you know, all of these other powers out there um, that have gotten really wealthy, by the way, since we exported capitalism to them. So thank, thank the, the United States for basically making sure that the Chinese people, Benefited to your detriment, um, but uh, you know we have we have to be really careful about that because you know you can thumb your nose at U.S. company doing X Y Z. Uh, it's doubly worst if if communist company X Y Z comes here to do that.
0: That's a good point uh, and something to think about. You know, I think one thing that really frustrates me in the conversation uh, surrounding small businesses and COVID over the past year, and I, I'm sure you feel the same, is that this conversation of oh, it was COVID. That shut down these businesses. It was COVID that shut down, you know, our, our economy. No, it was the government. It was government officials making poor decisions, largely based off of bad data. And then when they got better data, they didn't change their policy. They didn't change their strategy. So it was the government that screwed over small businesses, not COVID.
3: Ding 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 ding! We have a winner. What, we, what, what did she win today? Uh, yes, that's. I mean, that's exactly it. And I've been trying to use very specific language that it was the government's reaction to the pandemic. That was the problem. That, in fact, that was what the black swan was. They had run in 2019 a series of test runs, um, something called an exercise called Crimson Contagion that was run at the federal level in conjunction with like 14 states. And they had a scenario that they mocked up, which, by the way, was strangely close to what happened, that you know, something escaped from China and it was a bad virus and it came to the U.S. and there was a pandemic Scary, scary uh, parallels there, and so they ran a series of drills. Yeah, it's called Crimson Contagion. You can go look it up, and um, so they, you know, they knew <laughs> what what those issues were, where the potential bottlenecks were. So they should have been very prepared for this situation because they had run through it like literally months before. Um, and then, you know, when it came time. And by the way, you know, COVID was here for months before they freaked out. I had COVID in February of 2020, didn't know it at the time because there was no testing, of course, because of the government um, and and their rules and regulations around that. But, you know, I found out afterwards because I had my antibodies tested and it was like, oh, yeah, that that actually was COVID, um, so, you know, people had had it, it was, it was around, but it, were, it was the specific set of decisions. It was those picking of winners and losers and, you know, making the economic decisions that were not going to compensate the people you know, who were deeming non essential and asking them to subjugate their rights. And none of that was based on any data or science. I mean, we knew in the beginning of March that the most vulnerable group was the elderly um, and some groups with comorbidities. So there could have been a a focus around what do we do to to support the specific group. Um, They could have, you know, out of the CARES package, given all small businesses that were affected, a trillion to a trillion and a half dollars, bought themselves two to three months to figure out a mitigation strategy they didn't do that either they spent trillions of dollars on their cronies and the kennedy center for deep cleaning and all kinds of insanity you know harvard <laughs> who who was shamed uh, by the people of twitter into giving the money back but you know those were the kinds of decisions that were made both at the state and the federal level that was specifically the was their reaction and even later in the year i mean one of the craziest stories Is out of New York. Surprise, surprise. uh, When they decided, Cuomo decided that he was going to shut down restaurants again. And when he looked, he looked at the contract, the contact tracing data that they had done. It was their own data. Only 1.4 percent of the cases were traced back to restaurants. So why would you say that that's going to be the area of focus when that's like a tiny fraction? of the overall issue. I mean the same thing when he had these restaurants um, that were allowed to open in part, but only if they served, you know, dip with chips. Like if you served serve chips, it wasn't enough. But if you serve dips with chips, you know, that was enough. Like how, how are dips scientific and <laughs> data-driven? It's not. And that's the part that everybody should be so frustrated about.
0: Well and also not to mention the fact, you know, all these restaurants just trying to keep up and comply with executive orders and regulation, uh you know, probably put a lot of, you know, restaurants under as well like having to get the the plastic barriers and all this extra crap to try to salvage and to try to stay open. And then in some instances, they were shut down again. I mean, that that kills a business to have to spend that kind of money that they don't have on those sorts of things. Just the, the compliance aspect.
3: Right. So you're li- you're limited in what you can do. So you don't have a, a full deck Your customers are told to be frightened and not go to your restaurant because you have cooties. Uh, And then if you want to comply, you have to put out all this extra money, which you're not getting reimbursed for, and you're a small business, that you don't have that same access to capital that the big companies are basically getting for free based on what the Fed is doing in the stock market. Uh, I have a story in the book where I talk about L.A., the Pineapple Hill Balloon and Grill, which you may remember uh, in L.A. County, you know, had been around for a long time. They spent $80,000 reportedly to basically configure outdoor seating so that they could be in compliance with these mandates. And then Eric Garcetti says, mm, sorry, you know, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to just shut, da- shut that down. You're not going to be able to do outdoor seating. But a movie company was able to get a permit to shoot a movie and open up a catering tent to feed the cast and the crew of the movie literally hundreds of feet away in the same parking lot from this restaurant that spent all this money that wasn't allowed to operate Oh, and by the way, I know you'll find this shocking, the movie industry lobbyist, who apparently worked with this production company, I believe, um, had had dinner with Gavin Newsom at the French Laundry just a, a short time prior to that happening. So you tell me that this isn't based on politics and it was based on data and science.
0: Well, that's like I I like this line that uh, you wrote. You wrote, if Amazon's warehouse, every Walmart and big box liquor stores had been forced to close, just like small businesses, uh, that, you know, if these powerful I'm skipping a little bit. But if these powerful connected entities would have created, they would have created such a stink that the lockdowns would have been lifted in two to three weeks. So essentially, if Amazon and Walmart had to face the same consequences that small businesses had, this would have been the lockdowns would have been lifted in two to three weeks. Do you think is that why? Big businesses were allowed to stay open.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this is this goes back to the the picking of winners and losers. You know, there's this narrative is we're all in this together, and we completely were not all in this together. Anyway, as you said, Amazon.
0: I hated that line. That drove me nuts. Exactly, we weren't all in this together. But sorry, it drove me nuts.
3: Well, yeah, no, and I'm and I'm glad that it did. It should irritate and make everybody furious. Amazon's warehouse was able to stay open. Walmart could stay open. By the way, in some places, some states, weed dispensaries that weren't even legal a few years prior were now essential and and able to stay open, uh, but your small business wasn't. And the money that went to prop up the stock market after that cratered you know, created this, like, incredible growth in the stock market. The stock market had been truly cratering. We didn't have that support. If Amazon was shut down and you couldn't order things, if your grocery store was shut down, you couldn't go there, everyone would have said, wait a second, this isn't okay. The government can't do this. So they knew, you know, you keep the big guys open, the big guys are happy, they're the ones that make the contributions, we'll pretend like we're doing something, the small businesses will be cannon fodder, and you can decide. Like, either they were too small to matter or they're too hard to control. The intentions don't matter, the outcomes do. But, you those were the ones who got hurt. And so you had completely different experiences and everybody running around, Telling how we were all in this together and we all had this horrendous experience when it's like a tale of two cities.
0: well I think it also showed how dumb some of our uh, government officials are, whether mayors or governors who have never had to run anything. They've never actually had to be, you know, I mean, they're not really executives or not. You know, I mean, you look at de Blasio has basically run New York City into the ground. But it was such a misunderstanding of how businesses operate, just this idea that they just can close, they can reopen, they can close, they can reopen. It's just such a misunderstanding of how businesses, you know, need or operate and what they need to function.
3: Yeah, I mean, and we're really paying the price for that now. So if, if you have managed to survive as a business to this point, which many, as we know, have not, you know, by taking a large swath of the economy, turning it off And then trying to turn it back on again, like you're power cycling a computer, you've disrupted all kinds of things. I mean, we talked about the unemployment benefit issue and and how that's affecting getting uh, laborers back into the workforce. But that's also then disrupted the supply chain. So businesses can't get everything from raw materials to manufacturing access to, in some cases, shipping containers or transportation. And then for the products that you are getting, we're seeing massive inflation, both based on supply chain interruption, as well as all of the money that has been pumped into the economy. So now if you're a small business, you're, you're open, maybe, but you, you don't have any employees and you, everything costs you more and you can't get some of the things that you need to run your business. And we don't know how long those long-tail effects are going to happen. And, again, if you're a bigger company, you're going to have the access to capital and the scale to be able to weather that. But if you're a smaller company or not, I mean, there was an article on Seeking Alpha, which is a financial um, kind of chat board, if you will, for people who are really interested in stocks. And somebody put up this article how the chain restaurants are just crushing independent restaurants because of all of these issues that we're talking about. And, yeah, I mean, they have the capital, so, of course, they're they're going to be the ones that survive, and, you know, they're going to have, they're going to face less competition, so, you know, they're probably not crying about that.
0: And, like, what's the broader impact on the economy, you know, looking ahead? Like, we have talked about sort of the market manipulation, the, you know, just printing money, throwing money at the problem, just... Uh, you know, just all this government interference. I mean, what's the long term impact of sort of the the economy and the economic repercussions we're going to face as a result of the past year?
3: Yeah, so it's the past year, but it's also ongoing policies and some of the ones that are being proposed. Um, So there are a whole slew of things. And by the way, this is a super optimistic conversation. So really apologize for being the bearer of bad news um, one thing that, that potentially is, is that people should keep an eye on that they're probably not as, as concerned about. They may, they may know about the overall debt that we have as a nation, um, and obviously that's of concern to many people, but the servicing of the interest on that debt is a big issue. I contend that part of the reason why the Federal Reserve is, is pushing these interest rates down as low as they are is so that it keeps down the interest payments on the debt, when that starts to rise and they're going to have to do that as inflation continues to rise based on all of the money that they print and all the intervention they've had in the market, um, that's going to mean that we're spending more money as a country servicing the interest on that debt, which means paying for things that we've already bought. Not new things, not new investments, but stuff that's already been spent, we're going to have a larger part of our tax revenue going there, which is going to crowd out other spending. And uh, I'm sure you've seen this movie before <laughs> for spending more on interest. It's not like the, the government's going to be like, well, we need to cut back on these other places. So that means more of a tax burden on us as Americans. Um, from a like a short-term standpoint, you know, inflation, obviously everybody's feeling that right now. How long that lasts and at what levels really depend on some of the policies coming down the road. One thing that could happen, which you know is, is very scary to think about, is something that doesn't happen very often, but we saw it you know decades ago called stagflation, where the economy stagnates but you still have the inflated prices and inflated wages, and so that's sort of a, a an outcome that could happen because of this this kind of historic experiment that we're in. Financially, and I think the biggest concern for people um, is just this attack on economic freedom and wealth creation. That there are going to be fewer ways for people to create wealth and have that economic freedom as Americans. You know, through your homes, through the stock market, through building a business. They're trying to make that more difficult. For you. And so again, that that shifts us more towards that central planning mode, more towards socialism, more towards power control and more people on the government dole. And it it just kills this unique uh, example of economic prosperity that America has always been in the world. And the potential civil unrest That could follow that. You know, you can look throughout history when you see things like that happening and people don't have those same wealth creation opportunities um, is is really staggering.
0: I mean, you can look at countries like Venezuela. um, Yeah. But, uh, you know, so we look at states. So I'm in Florida right now. I live in Miami at the moment. Um, You know, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis kept Florida open for, you know, the better part of the year. Opened the economy much earlier than states like New York or California. Do you know how the free states, the open states, how small businesses in those states have done in comparison to lockdown states?
3: I know you're going to find this to be an amazing statistic, but they've done better. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's crazy. I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) I, I know, it's like mind blowing, right? So, if you look at like the deaths per million, obviously there are a number of factors that go in. Part of that's population density, part of that's, you know, how much of an elderly population. But really, across the board, you can see that those who had a heavy handed lockdown scenario didn't fare any better, and in a lot of cases, fared worse than those who had a lighter touch approach. And again, there's, there's different reasons geographically, but we know that you know, opening up the economy didn't create you know, these, these massive amounts of debt. So that, there, that, that wasn't a big impact. But what we can see is from an economic standpoint, the, the places that took the lighter touch approach had a much better economic scenario, had a much faster recovery, had a better um, scenario in terms of small businesses versus, you know, a state like New York um, where, you know, the the percentage of small businesses that are closed permanently versus, you know, what were open in January 2020, you know, are just completely staggering and the likelihood that you're going to see this rebirth you know, in those areas is probably not going to come back uh, particularly quickly either. So, you know, it didn't have a health shift, but it certainly had an economic shift.
0: Well, and what's interesting, you know, for me, from a political lens, it really crystallizes what the two parties stand for. I mean, you look at the left, you look at these leftist states, big government, centralized power, power at the top. And then you look at the Republican states like Florida and just getting the government out of the way and allowing businesses to do their work and people to act like adults and make their own decisions for them. Uh, But, you know, that's sort of, you know, here nor
3: there. Well, I would let me just add to that, you know, because we were talking about the extended unemployment benefits, you know, the, the first states obviously to opt out of that. Um, tended to be red states who said, yeah, this doesn't seem like a good idea. This is keeping people out of the workforce, so we're going to opt out of that program. And now you're seeing some blue states jumping in and going, yeah, you're probably right too. But that the leadership on that was definitely more of a red state thing. Although I will have to say, um, you know, the whole small business issue is not only nonpartisan, but, you know, in terms of uh, you know, some of the, the spending issues and the broader issues, you know, both parties, are also at fault, even though the left policies tend to be a little bit heavier heavier handed.
0: And for the states that uh, are, you know, are no longer taking the enhanced unemployment, aren't they doing better in terms of uh, employment, of having people go back to work in those states now that they've stopped taking those enhancement benefits?
3: Uh, it seems like that. We're going to actually get some really good data uh, as of the date that we're taping this, which was right before the jobs report comes out for the last month. So I think we're going to get some really interesting data out of that. And I expect that we're going to see a rebound, and I imagine that we're going to see a rebound specifically tied to the states who have decided um, that you know, we're, we're no longer going to be a part of that. However, I do have you know, my own theory, and this is just based on human nature more than economics per se, is that for people who have chosen to opt out and not go back to work right away – I do think we're not going to see a big recovery until after Labor Day because if you've been out this whole time and it's now like July, it's <laughs> the middle of the summer and, you know, you've got all these things going on, is that when you're going to go start back into the workforce or you are just going to take the rest of the summer off and just wait until after Labor Day? So my guess is we're probably not going to see a shift until that kind of post-Labor Day situation, which, again, a total and complete disaster for small business owners who don't have the capital, as I mentioned, in some cases to even pay their rent for the month, let alone be able to be without employees and and to scale back up their businesses.
0: Well, and to add to some of the additional challenges, I mean, we have a president right now who's eyeing tax increases on, you know, possibly 60 percent of the country and looking at spending trillions of dollars on an infrastructure bill that really isn't an infrastructure bill.
3: Yeah, and let's add on to that um, wanting to increase the federal minimum wage, which I mentioned, you know, Amazon and and folks are now pushing for um, and which, by the way, they've admitted uh, Joe Biden used his uh, outside voice instead of the inside voice in his head to whisper and say, oh, you know, you, we're now competing with you for employees. So that, that's sort of a de facto push to, to increase the minimum wage. And then there's something um, I don't know if you've talked about it before called the PRO Act which is basically taking the independent contractor language from AB5 in California and trying to nationalize it, which could completely kill the ability for people to be independent contractors, which is like 59 million jobs. And small businesses, a lot of them rely heavily on independent contractors because the government makes it so difficult to hire and maintain an employee. Um, So, you know, all of those kinds of policies. I mean, even something like the capital gains tax that they're talking about increasing, uh, which, by the way, Communist China's capital gains tax is only 20%. Even even they know to keep that low. Um, that's something that it sounds, again, like it's an attack on the wealthy, but the wealthy are just going to, to move around their capital. But what they're not going to do is they're not going to take on extra risk. They're going to be looking in different places um, to minimize the risk in order to make up the differential that they have to to make up for the higher taxes. So th- the riskiest businesses out there are the ones that are smaller and startups and most innovative. So who do you think is going to be hurt the most when you have a, you know somebody at the the government interfering in the market and and changing and disrupting risk allocation via capital gains tax, of course, it's going to end up being the small businesses. So, you know, all of these things they keep throwing out under the guise of we're going to attack the wealthy, we're going to attack the big guys, we're going to, you know, do it for the little guys. It's to get them more revenue and power, and it's to crush the little guys whether it's intentionally or just, again, because they're, they're the easiest to kind of throw out as cannon fodder.
0: Uh, personally, I mean, I think it's intentional. I think it's their worldview of trying to crush. I mean, it's the left purports to be about the people, but they're about power and about power at the top and power with government uh, as opposed to, you know, actually giving power to the people. But, uh, you know, so one thing I'm just curious about, how helpful was PPP to small businesses, those
3: loans? so this is this is a mixed bag um, it's kind of like you know how helpful is a crumb at keeping you from starving like you know it maybe sustains you for another few hours or a few days, um, and certainly for some small businesses, it was helpful. The problem is that it was a fraction of the overall dollars that were given out, and it was a fraction of the dollars that were needed to make up for the level of property rights interference that the gover- government made um, right up front. The first, you know, the first uh, tranche of it. In the CARES Act was structured so poorly, and this is all over the media, it was before it, it's, it's popping up again, that the biggest quote-unquote small companies out there were the ones who got most of the money, and it was exhausted in like 13 to 14 days. And so over three tranches, you know, about $800 billion has been taken down, which, again, is a fraction of the, you know, six-plus trillion dollars we've spent at this point in time. Um, but for the length of time that they've had these small business owners on the ropes, like that's just, you know, it's not enough for half of the economy. And even if a third of that half is what was affected, it's still not enough to make, uh, to make up for that. Plus, you, know, you had to jump through all of these hoops, Uh, A lot of people didn't qualify because they had contractors in their business or because of their own debt backgrounds. Some people, rightfully so, were distrustful of the government, so they weren't sure that they were actually going to to get it forgiven, so they decided not to, to go ahead with it. So, like, at every turn, um, you know, it was pretty clear that that program was not the savior that they, they touted to be. And we're continuing to see those issues. I had a, a small business owner just email me today. I put it out on Twitter that they had applied for uh, relief from this restaurant relief program that the Biden administration had in conjunction with the SBA Again, picking winners and losers. If you're a restaurant, we're going to give you relief. You know, if you're a dry cleaner or something else, like, <laughs> too, too bad for you. You can't apply. Um, but what they did is that they discriminated. They said if you were a woman or a minority, we were going to prioritize you. So they told 3,000 women in minority businesses that they were going to get money, and you know, my particular small business owner who contacted me was had had said you were approved. They said the amount it was like fifty seven thousand dollars, and you know, whatever the, the it ended in an 8 I don't remember what the middle number was, um, and they they showed the bank account it was going to. And they said it'll be there in three to seven days from now. You've been fully approved. And then they were sued. The SBA was sued and said, you know, you've discriminated and prioritized certain people based on race. Um, and so then the SBA went back to 3,000 women and minority-owned businesses and said, I'm sorry, we're not giving you the money anymore. So instead of going and getting more money, which again we're talking like billions of dollars, which is a fraction of the trillions that they've wasted on other things. In order to support these small businesses that they've already told they're giving a lifeline to, they've now rescinded that they've now taken that back. Like, like, what what are we doing here?
0: There's such a callousness with the lockdowns as well. I mean, it's just such a disregard for lives and just, you know, people. I mean, you've got people like this is how they put food on the table. This is how people put a roof over their children's head, how they're going to be able to send their kids to college in the future. You have generational restaurants passed down, uh, you know, throughout generations gone. I mean, this is something that you know we're talking about, you know, restaurants, businesses that people have worked their entire lives to build just and then employ people that they employ as well. And it's like it's like there's just such a callousness and just such a disregard for the people at the heart of it.
3: Yeah, and it's their identities. I don't think people realize, if you've never owned a small business before, how difficult it is. I mean, most small business owners have invested their own money to get it going, so they've taken on risk. They've worked uh, definitely more than 40 hours a week. You know, it's, it's blood, sweat, and tears. They've probably had more aggravation than they would if they had just had a regular job. And it becomes like their child and their identity, and they're really wrapped up in that business as a part of them. And as you said, sometimes it's multi generational, and to take that away from people um, can alter their lives. You know, I had a story. I put out a call to to hear about some of these stories, and there's this horrendous story that that sticks with me um, here in the suburbs of Chicago. Of a guy who owned a carpet cleaning business, and that was shut down um, very early on. He could not qualify for PPP because he had had some past bad debt, so they disqualified him. And uh, you know, he really started bleeding cash, and he turned to alcohol, and he, in short order, um, took his own life. And you know, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. I mean that that's a death from the government's decision to do these mandates and to tell this person that he wasn't essential. So when people say, oh, you know, it's only money and it it can be replaced, like, that's not it. That's not the story. That's not what happened. Um, So it's really, really devastating to hear these stories there's another one in Chicago Southport Lanes which is sort of like a an eating drinking you know gathering establishment it was about to celebrate 100 years in business it survived prohibition <laughs> as a bar yet could not survive what the government did during covid i mean it's just absolutely staggering and again these are just a handful of millions of stories where people have either completely gone out of business or are you know, fighting to hang on.
0: Well, and that's one of the reasons I refuse to ever say we we're all in this together because we're not right. I was still getting a paycheck. So that's completely unfair to say what other people were truly suffering. And, and every person out there that said we were all in this together was still getting a paycheck. I mean, I literally cannot think of one person who was out there saying we're all in this together that wasn't still employed and receiving a paycheck. So, you know, that, of course, is at the height of the pie.
3: Or, or even took a pay yeah. cut. Think about the, gov-
0: the government. didn't. Ta- they didn't take a pay cut yeah. in solidarity. Yeah, exactly. It's like that, that. Yeah. And you've got these people making these policies, just devastating the lives of so many people who are still getting paid. I mean, it's sick. It really it's twisted and it's disgusting. And and of course, there's not going to ever be any consequences outside of, you know, trying to throw some of these bums out of political office, which is you know nearly impossible in some of these liberal cities and states. But, you know, it's just, it's twisted. I mean, it really is sick what's happened over the past year.
3: Yeah. And you, I mean, you've got Cuomo who got to write a book about his leadership and get an Emmy about what a great job he did and pat himself on the back and ended up murdering literally you know, people as well as murdering small businesses. And, and, and like you said, it's not going to face um, nearly the consequences. You know, one thing I've been t- advising small business owners to do is to sue because I really feel like you know, this, this is an eminent domain situation and they were not appropriately compensated. So I would imagine we would see some class action Lawsuits pop up, you know, in, in months, um, and years to follow, and uh, you know, it's it's a double edged sword because you know they deserve their compensation, um, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, who's paying for that? It's me and you because it's not these government officials who have absolutely no risk uh, for these you know ridiculous actions that they continue to take, and and that's a that's a darn shame.
0: Quick commercial break. Stay with us. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Lisa.
2: As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds,
0: it was shocking.
2: I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought.
3: United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper Sunday at nine on CNN.
2: Hey, this is John Ridley and this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline, and welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists.
3: You get a shot, but the individuals behind every
0: one of those images, they're complicated and they are human.
2: This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You.
0: Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. Well, and real quick before we go, what needs to be done the most to help small businesses right now? If you could pick one thing. So
3: the thing that's easiest for all of us to do is to vote with your dollars and your wallets. I know it's super easy to go online and, you know, go to a certain big online retailer or go to a big box retailer when you're out running errands. But really think about, you know, what that does to decentralization, economic freedom, and the consolidation of power in the economy. And is it worth it? Is that like extra click of convenience worth, you know, taking away potential economic freedom and moving us into a place where there's this consolidated power? So I think if we are all more conscious about how we vote with our dollars, um, that's an easy thing for us to attack. As we continue to find ways to rein in the Fed, rein in government and and do all those other things that need to be done that are a lot more challenging to do.
0: Carol, this has been a fascinating discussion. I've really enjoyed it. It was super interesting. I'm so glad you wrote this book. And for the folks at home, again, the book is called The War on Small Business, How the Government Used the Pandemic to Crush the Backbone of America. Carol, thanks so much for joining this week's episode. I really appreciate the discussion.
3: Well, thanks so much for giving it a platform. I mean, as we, we kind of started out, not enough people care about this. So for you advocating for a small business and advocating for people to pick up the book so they can educate themselves and show the media and publishers and whatnot that people do care about this and they want to hear more people talking about this, um, it's so important. And to walk the talk that I was just talking about, um, if you don't want to go to the big company to buy the war on small business, there's a great uh, online company called bookshop.org and they will fulfill your order from a local small business bookseller. So anytime you want to buy a book, um, including this one, you can just go to bookshop.org, and then you'll be supporting a small business owner, so you get to support a small business and small business advocacy at the same time.
0: I love that. So everyone go buy the book there uh, as opposed to, you know, Amazon. So, again, appreciate what we are doing. My heart goes out to everyone who's been suffering over the past year as a result of our horrible and tyrannical government. So, Carol, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. I want to thank Carol Roth again for a really important interview and writing a book that everyone needs to read. And I want to thank you guys at home for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on the Apple podcast. I love hearing your feedback. Please leave a review. Please leave a rating, but only if it's five stars. (laughs) Just kidding. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Lisa Marie Booth. And I want to thank our team who makes this podcast possible. Producer John Cassio, writer Aaron Kliegman, researcher Isabella McMahon, who's new and who's doing a great job, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker New Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 Network.